I'm Angela Blythe, bringing you another tale of horror from the moors in the north. As for us here at Dark Penan HQ, we have been to Scotland and released three videos about that trip on YouTube, with more to come. It's two years since I released my first book, so to celebrate that we are planning something special and there will be offers on all books from next week as part of our Halloween week. Today, I bring you an excerpt from book three of the Saddleworth Vampire series, Brass Neck. Vampires are still in control of the small village of Frymere, and our heroes are trying to get a group of children to safety after having separate adventures. The children were found in a church, but now nowhere in Frymere is safe. They must get out. The Match Girl by Angela Blythe Read by the author As darkness finally fell on the bridal path, so did the feeling that all was not well. This was not an uncommon feeling for all of them, and it didn't necessarily mean anything. After all, they'd walked in the darkness on the peaks, and it felt as if they were going to be attacked, but they hadn't been. They were all involved in various little conversations. Bob was talking to Rick about torching the vampires with Craig adding macabre details. Terry was filling Joe in with a blow-by-blow account of the battle in R. Doris's house. Joe wished he'd been there. Darren, who loved kebabs, had only just found out that Nigel had a kebab shop in Meldon and was asking him exactly what was in Donamit. Our Doris was talking about ladies' fragrances with Wee Reenie. Gary was filling in Pat about his time in the dark classroom with Carl. Laura listened close by in silence. The rest of them were occupying groups of kids with a full-back game of I Spy. Andy had them stumped for a while with C for Constellation. Andy, as if kids are going to guess that, you're making them far too hard, Liz said. Lauren made them too easy, so she didn't want to go, as it only lasted ten seconds anyway. The kids found it difficult to think of anything most of the time. Apart from snow, trees and sky, there wasn't much to see. I spy with my little eye, something beginning with G, the youngest boy there said. After guessing a few G words, which were wrong, they gave in, and the boy said, Girl. Hmm, we should have guessed that. There are lots of them here, aren't there? Sally said, smiling. Do you want another go? You're very clever. Yes. I spy with my little eye something beginning with T. Oh, let's think, Lauren said, as some snow fell on her from the trees above. Trainers, er, tree, tree trunk. The boy shook his head. He seemed to be getting a little less willing to play. I give in, tell me, Lauren said. Teeth, he said. Ha ha, you're right, we all have those, Lauren said. I want another go, he said. 
How about someone else has a go? You can think of some good ones for when it's your turn again, Beverly said. No. I spy with my little eye. Something beginning with V, the boy said slowly. Now they got it. Where? Lauren asked. In the trees above you, he whispered. Lauren froze rigid. She did not dare turn around to give herself away. Liz and Cathy had heard the last part of the game too and slowly raised their eyes upwards. Two white faces looked down. Both were young girl vampires who had been following them in the trees. Now it was no surprise that they hadn't seen any footprints. Danny had just noticed that they had stopped behind him and he turned to see what was holding them up. It was usually a child's glove to find or a nose to wipe. He followed the gaze of Liz and Cathy into the dark trees. Small clumps of snow fell onto Lauren. Her eyes were wide and staring at the little boy before her. He could see her breath misting out in frantic puffs. They're in the trees! They're in the bastard trees! Danny shouted. The rest of the party immediately stopped and looked upward at the trees. Shit! Gary said. Cool, said Bob. Rick's impulse was to look for Lauren and saw that they were in the trees directly above his new girlfriend. He ran towards her, throwing himself over her and the little boy that was with her. Now that the two child monsters knew that they'd been rumbled, they hissed down at the heroes below. One of the girls jumped legs akimbo onto the path. She was shoeless, dirty, and just wore a simple stained dress, which was torn at the hem and sleeves. Her hair was matted with knots and blood. The child's face was unrecognisable, as it was filthy, bloody, and its eyes were glowing amber. She landed down on the snow like a predator, legs wide, knees bent, and hands raised up like claws, ready to strike. Look how ragged she is, our Doris said. She reminds me of that story, the little match girl, Weirini said quietly. That always makes me cry, Cathy added. There's no jolly in that fairy tale, Pat said, sniffing. We'd better do it then, Andy said. No one made a move. They held their weapons up for protection. This was a new matter to tackle. I can't. It's a little kid, Liz muttered. No, it's not, Nigel said. It's a feral monster hiding in a kid's body. As if she'd heard him, the little girl proved Nigel right by vaulting over Rick's back towards another child who stood with Sally. Unbelievably fast and animal-like, she had more in common with Anne's half-breed werewolf vampires than she did with her own kind. These were two of the lost vampire children that Mrs White had been worrying over. They lived in this area now. The path, the trees, the den that Bob had mentioned, now full of bones. This was all theirs. 
the other child still watched from the tree. As her friend leapt towards Sally's charge, she clambered into another tree closer to the action. Red spittle dripped down from her gaping mouth as she prepared herself for her meal. Nigel ran forward. His large kebab knife was already out, glinting, and he raised it. He knew every single person was protected by a brass neck, but the child could just do so much more damage than just drinking from a neck artery. The velocity of the leap knocked Sally and the little girl beside her over in the drifts. Sally tried to move backwards in the thick snow, her hands dragging the girl along with her. The vampire child found Sally's boot and started to scrabble up her body. It seemed she decided that if she killed the big one first, the little one would be easy to eat after. Nigel reached the three wriggling females and took the vampire child by the hair. She was far too interested in her meal tonight to have noticed him. Nigel was amazed at how incredibly light she was. He raised her head back and brought his knife swiftly down across her neck. He hadn't even had to put much force behind it. The neck was small and thin and especially soft. The head came away nicely in his hand. The body with its gushing neck stump dropped down right next to Sally, who scrabbled away from it in the snow, holding the living little girl with her. The black issue continued to ooze out. It sank down beneath the snow. The top layer, still a pristine white, now looked grey as the black pool beneath it spread. An almighty scream came from our Doris and Haggis began to bark, jumping off the sledge. The second girl vampire had jumped down from the trees and fallen on our Doris's back. She struck several times at her neck but didn't make contact. Our Doris couldn't reach her weapons, so flapped her arms about. She slipped in the snow, falling forward with the girl on top of her. One of her cowboy boots was now half on and half off her foot, which further hampered her. Haggis grabbed the ragged dress of the vampire girl number two and began to pull, growling. Basil jumped out of his hiding place, which had been Terry's hood on his duffel coat, and leapt onto the head of the attacker, yowling and scratching at the scalp and forehead. The vampire didn't like this at all, and for a moment stopped trying to bite our Doris and made attempts to grab hold of the small ginger cat that was successfully tearing wet chunks from her head. The vampire screamed an horrific, weird and weak scream. Our Doris pulled herself away, and Joe was upon this second beast. As it lay on the ground, still trying to grab hold of the cat, the dog still pulling her along every so often by the dress, Joe struck. The axe he held, which they had not seen him use yet, went straight down through the child's back, pressing her into the snow. He had aimed for the heart and had caught it. His idea was, if you didn't have a steak, just chop it into pieces. The vampire made a glugging sound, and Joe raised his axe again. Wait! Sue shouted, and ran for Basil, whisking him out of the way. Bob picked up Haggis, who immediately licked his face. Joe brought the axe down once more. Twice. Three times. He stopped, 
Then, as a second thought, add another couple of goes at her. He was breathing fast and looking down at the creature. Gary approached to see what current state the vampire girl was in. She was now in two parts, cut straight across at the shoulder blades. They now had four separate pieces of vampire girl. The children had witnessed every second, so there was no use trying to hide the parts. Weirini scanned the trees and bushes for any movement and could see none. I think that's it. I think it was just the two little match girls, she said. Let's bugger off before more come, Pat grunted. Yes, their screams will have carried a long way. Let's get going. Leave them like that, Gary said. The group picked up anything they dropped, and without a word they hastily carried on, every eye trained on the treetops, every ear listening for a giveaway sound. You've been listening to an excerpt from Brass Neck by Angela Blythe, available as e-book or paperback from Amazon. Goodbye until next time.